Hello and welcome back to After Office Hours. Today we have the esteemed privilege to chat with our current head of marketing, Rajiv Vadianathan. But um, before we launch into that, Carrie and I have been having some pretty real conversations about where we're at in life as two seniors in college here at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And we wanted to share some valuable findings that we've had thus far. Yeah, I think for, I know we've got, we have a background episode and you all have heard a little bit about what we're going through, but we are both seniors this year and looking for those full-time positions after graduation. So we've been having a lot of conversations about the experiences that we're going through. Mm -hmm. And I think a huge thing that we're taking away is the importance Again, I think we've talked about this, but just putting yourself in positions yes. where you're maybe uncomfortable, but you're connecting with someone that could, in the long run, be of huge value to you. So I guess to narrow it down a little bit and to make it make more sense of just basically reach out to people. Yes. Reach out to people. The worst that can happen is that they don't respond to you or that they say, no, I don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. But... The complete opposite of that is you end up getting on a phone call with someone from a company that you might have some interest in, some interest in, or a professor that you want to talk to that might have a lot of connections, mm-hmm. um, and you have that conversation, and they could help you so much in the yes. future with a job, and I think that's just that's a huge thing to take away. And I think Kayla has some real examples of these types of things happening from because she is the queen herself of reaching out and (laughs) being able to talk to people but I guess just to give an example yeah go for it to help make this make more sense yes absolutely so there was a book that uh, my boyfriend Brett Rodenberg actually just got done reading and Carrie has read and that is The Defining Decade and One of the main takeaways from that book was your warm or lukewarm or cold connections are actually going to be of most value to you in the long run. And that's because they're people that you're not interacting with on a day-to-day basis. And they also have connections that your very warm connections don't have, if this makes any sense. So for example, um, recently I was able to hop on the phone with someone from Google through a second connection, through a first connection of mine, second connection of his. And that person from Google actually connected me with someone from IBM. And also at IBM, I've been able to reach out to like their global sales director, Microsoft's VP, and so many other people. It's kind of ridiculous, actually. But the, the point is, it's not because I'm shooting off these amazing amazingly crafted messages with a A plus resume and a cover letter that is like the end all of cover letters. Like that's far from it. The reason why I'm able to have these conversations and the reason why Carrie has been able to have the conversations and connections that she's had is because we've simply been reaching out. And that is kind of, uh, it's the key. You just, you just need to reach out because all these people that we've had conversations with have said, I always want to mentor, help mentor, and tell people to reach out, and they never do. Yes, and I think you you get a little bit afraid to do those things because you think that they have this title, and I'm not 
good enough to talk to someone with this title. But another thing to always think about is, Kayla and I were just talking about this as well, that everyone puts their pants on the same way in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So as much as you might think you are so far away from talking to the VP of sales at some company, it's worth it to give it a shot, give it a try. It's basically moral of the story. Mm-hmm. Just don't be afraid to reach out and put yourself mm-hmm. in those positions because yes. they really can give you a good result. Yes. And this all, um, to wrap it up here, the steps to take to reach out. Step one, get a LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Step two, make connections on LinkedIn, especially connections of value. Um, if you're at UMD, professors are a plus way of connecting with people. And step three, uh, craft a message stating that you just want to have a 20-minute conversation and hear about their story and send that off. Absolutely. Another piece of advice. Read The Defining Decade. Read The Defining Decade. Really good book. I read it as well. And it's it's an awesome book, especially for... It's obviously about The Defining Decade, which they say is between your 20s and 30s. So if you're in that realm, great book to Mm -hmm. pick up. Definitely would recommend it. But with that, I think that we're ready to get into our interview with Rajiv. And it's a really exciting one. And we are really excited to share it with you all. So... Good luck and good listening. (laughs) World-renowned consumer behavior researcher, consultant, professor, and beer lover, Dr. Rajiv Vadianathan joins us today on After Office Hours. As you tune in, keep in mind how fortunate the University of Minnesota Duluth is to have Dr. Vadianathan as our head of marketing, as well as professor. Rajiv, we are ecstatic to be able to chat with you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and chat with you. Kayla and I have both been privileged enough to take, I think Kayla's in your class right now, and I took your class last semester, so we have a very small idea of what you do, who you are, but a ton more that we would love to know. So to kick us off, please just feel free to go as in-depth as you'd like on your background, what you've done, how you got here, and everything in between. So I grew up in India and um, went through school and college. And during college, I decided that I wanted to be a sound engineer. So there was actually a friend of mine and I who set up a business where we would do sound for concerts. You know, the college concerts, so we had the, the whole... Uh, boards where you would adjust the sound and things like that. And I said, oh, this is fun. This is what I want to do. And um, I actually applied to many universities in the U.S. for sound audio engineering. And um, my parents thought it was a crazy idea saying, you, you want to be a groupie with rock bands? That's not a career. That's a, that's a hobby. Uh, so I, I worked out a deal with them and I also applied for... I guess something more respectable in their eyes, which was an MBA. Mm -hmm. And my undergraduate degree was in business, so it wasn't something out there. They thought the natural thing to do would be to get a degree, a graduate degree in business. So I did my undergraduate degree in India in uh, business and then applied for MBA programs and I ended up at the University of Idaho. Mm -hmm. Uh, They gave me financial aid to do an MBA, which was fairly unusual. Um, I had a really high GMAT score, so they had a small MBA program, and I think they were they were happy to have me. My plan, growing up, I'd never even heard of Idaho, 
And um, <laughs> it was interesting. When I came to the U.S., I found out most Americans haven't heard of Idaho either. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say. I, I, I talk to people and say, I'm going to the University of Idaho. And they'd say, oh, yeah, lots of cornfields yeah, there. I'm yeah. saying, no, no, that's Iowa. Idaho is potatoes. Potatoes. <laughs> so, so I ended up uh, going there. My plan was to actually switch to a larger university once I got there. Because in India, when I was growing up, I lived only in the big cities, Bombay and New Delhi and uh, Hyderabad, all these. My dad worked for the Indian police service, so it's like an army brat. Every two years, I got transferred and went to a different wow. town uh, all over the place. But I came to the University of Idaho in small Moscow, Idaho, and loved it. Mm. Loved the place. Great people, uh, great atmosphere, basically a college town. And so I just decided to stay there. Mm. After I graduated with my MBA, I went to work at a bank in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, up north. Spectacularly beautiful place. And... um, Worked on a project there, there's a long story, but uh, I worked on a project that finished sooner than they thought that uh, I would take. And I was working there and I was bored, Mm -hmm. literally bored. Mm -hmm. And there was no internet in those days. This is 1989. So today, if I wanted to waste time at work, it would be easy. (laughs) In those days, nothing. Open floor plan. I had a desk. I had a word processor on my desk, not even a computer. And um, so... I didn't have enough work to do. And I realized there, the first lesson that I learned was that it's much harder, it's much more exhausting to have no work or not enough work than it is to have too much work. It's very true. And so I struggled to get through the day because I'd be watching the clock and saying, okay, 4.29, 4.30, oh my God, I can go home mm-hmm. now. And I realized I couldn't do that for much longer. So I actually decided to do my PhD I love the Pacific Northwest so much, so I applied Washington State University, which uh, it's like Duluth and Superior. Washington State University and University of Idaho are only eight miles apart okay. mm-hmm. across the border from each other. So I stayed in my same apartment in Moscow, Idaho, did my PhD at Washington State, and came here to UMD in 93, right after I finished my PhD. Wow. And I've been here ever since, except for two years I left on a... Um, leave of absence from the university and worked in New York at a company where a friend of mine, this was during the dot-com stage, he was uh, starting up a company and he mm-hmm. hired me to get that company off the ground. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's what I think. Even <laughs> more there that I didn't know about, but I get, so you got your PhD in Washington State and then you yep. said from there you came to Minnesota. Yep. What brought you to Minnesota? They offered me a job. Okay. That That was it. I mean... Uh, again, that, that year that I came out was a very, very tough year for you know, PhDs mm-hmm. because uh, we were in a recession. They were, most universities had budget cuts and things. So uh, I, I applied to several universities and then I came here to Duluth in the summer, July. I remember July of 92 for my interviews. And were blown away by the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Pierce was the department head. He took me on Skyline Parkway, mm-hmm. parked at the Copper Top Church, showed me the view. And I'm, I said, wow, this is like a dream yes. to live in a place like this. And so when okay. they offered me the job, I said yes. yes. What was the original job that you took here? Was it head of marketing? or was No, it professor? was just a, a, you know assistant professor of marketing. Okay. Just an entry-level faculty position. Very nice. 
What did your journey look like from that position up to the head of marketing where you are now? Um, the head of the department is really something we all sort of take our turns doing. Okay. Um, it's not. It's not like a, a raise or you know significant position. It's mm-hmm. the the administration of the department is usually a faculty responsibility. So you'll find most faculty have done some time as the as the department head. Oh, I've I just done that. it for a long time because nobody else wants to do it. It's not a very <laughs> desirable job. Yeah. You know, a lot of the administrative things. So. Yeah. Um, I started doing it and they kept saying, keep doing it, Rajiv. So I just kept doing it. Well, you seem to be doing a wonderful (laughs) job with it. So I'm glad that you're continuing to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have a little bit of information on, obviously you are a professor, you've had a marketing, you've been here for a while, but you've done some other things. Mm -hmm. Well, you've also been a professor, something in particular Correct me if this title or anything is wrong, but Executive Director at the Association for Consumer Research. That is correct. We would love to hear more about that, how you got there, and what that means. One of the themes uh, that has happened multiple times in my life is people having more faith in me than I have in myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a pattern in many successful careers because Mm -hmm. nobody... Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Most people don't believe they can take these big leaps, you know, doing something that is very high profile or mm-hmm. it's very risky. And so I had volunteered ACR, Association for Consumer Research, is my uh, scholarly organization. So in consumer behavior, consumer research scholars from around the world are members of this organization, mm-hmm. this academic research organization. And I had volunteered for them for many years just because I, I was. When I actually, a little uh, fact, when my MBA was in MIS, uh, was my focus. I was always a computer geek. In fact, I started my PhD in MIS before switching over to marketing. There's a whole story there why I switched to marketing. But um, I wanted to do, at that time, the internet was new in the early 90s. And so I created web pages for the association. I created a system by which people could... um, Uh, access the program for the conference just as a volunteer member of the organization Mm -hmm. and out of the blue several years later um, they called me the president of the association called me and said Rajiv we'd like you to be the executive director and Mm -hmm. I said me I can't do that (laughs) I don't know how to run a million dollar organization I I mean this is a very very high profile international position Mm -hmm. And she said, nope, we've worked with you for many years. I said, but I've just been doing maintaining a website. That doesn't qualify me to be an executive director. And she just kept on. She said, nope, we know you. We think you can do it. And I said, I really don't think I can. Plus, in addition to my faculty position, so it would be a lot of additional responsibility. Um, And she called one of the other faculty at the Carlson School, had him call me and say, Rajiv, we really believe you can do it. So it was after... I kept saying no, and they kept insisting that I mm-hmm. could do it. And I said, you know what, I'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be, I agreed to do a five-year term. And now it's been 15 years. Oh, I'm wow. on, my, on my fourth five-year term doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think mm-hmm. something that you said early on was that people tend to have more faith in you than you have in yourself, which I think that's... A, a cool way to look at things mm-hmm. and a cool way to push yourself to get into mm-hmm. those positions that you probably would never be in. Right. So I guess, have you taken that on in other things as well? And if someone 
has their support and gives you that push that you can do something, do you tend to then listen to them because it's worked out in other situations or are you more in yourself kind of holding back a little bit? I think it's taken a lot of time and effort, mm -hmm. but I definitely think I'm more willing now to do risky things that I don't think I'm capable of doing. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, you know what, what the heck? It has worked out multiple times. So mm -hmm. there was this ACR thing. There was the uh, working at a company. I mean, remember, I was a, a, an academic. Uh, I had very limited work experience at the bank, mm -hmm. but this guy called me, a friend of mine, during the dot-com thing and said, I want you to join me as my VP of marketing for this company. And I said, VP of marketing? I don't have the experience or I'm not qualified to do that. And he said, again, same thing. I've worked with you. I've done a lot of little sort of consulting jobs with him over the summer with him. And he said, no, I know you. I know you can do it. So I said, okay, we'll give it a shot. And it worked out really, really well. That company is still going, by the way, um, even after I left. Same thing with the department head. I said, a department head? I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And it was all the faculty in the department saying, no, Rajiv, mm -hmm. we think you can do it. Do it. Give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And it's all worked out well. So I think you're right. I, I am more willing to do that now. Mm -hmm. But there's also a feeling of comfort, right? I, mm -hmm. I do find that I like doing things where people want me more than I want them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy because I can say, I'll try it. Listen, if it doesn't work out, if I do a bad job, really no hard feelings at all because I'm taking a risk, you're taking a risk, so let's try it out. I'm sure I'll run into things that I don't do well, in which case we will go our separate ways and be happy with each other, both having learned something. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think that's that's a cool way to look at things and great advice for people too, that if you don't necessarily think that you're qualified for a position, mm -hmm. the odds that you go for it, you can probably learn along the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Stepping outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. Exactly. Not saying no to opportunity. So with opportunity too, how did you start volunteering at the Association for Consumer, Re for Consumer Research? Like what got you into that? It was just uh, noticing a need. So mm -hmm. again, uh, what we used to do in those days, it's hard for you young folks to imagine, but uh, everything used to be done via paper and the mail. What? So we would <laughs> run a conference. So we're talking about 800 people from all over the world coming for a conference. A thousand people submitting research papers to, for review. They would submit it via the mail. They would submit multiple copies. The conference chairs would sit and with multiple copies, send it out to reviewers via the mail, get the reviewers back via the mail, make the decisions who, which papers to accept, which to not. It was a huge undertaking. And so I said, the program for the conference was all sent out via the mail. And I said, we can set up a website. And I remember them asking, what is a website? They'd mm -hmm. never even heard of a website. Oh, wow. I said, I'll set this up. Here's what it is. Um, and I created it. And they said, wow, this is so cool. So we can just, we can email you the program. Can you update it instantly? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah. And it changed things dramatically because... <laughs> Everything used to be printed, right? So if there was a mistake in the program, and often there are updates that would happen, too bad. People wouldn't find out about it until they actually showed up at the conference because they're not going to print the whole volume and send it out again to everybody. Mm -hmm. So now they could make updates. They'd send out emails to people and say, 
look, we have just posted an updated program with corrections on there. So it, it did make a big difference. And so I became the webmaster for the association, essentially, and did that for several years before they asked me to be executive director. That is so cool. <laughs> Breaking ground, honestly. That is amazing. So with, consult, with, with your consulting business and with all the people that you've met along the way, mm-hmm. I mean, moving from India to Idaho to Duluth, Minnesota, I'm sure you've made a lot of connections along the way. And you've shown that through our consumer behavior class too, bringing in these very profound and amazing people in their fields to speak to our class. So how have you balanced all those different connections and kept them alive and tended to them? That's a great question. And I think the heart is connections. Mm -hmm. I have always been happier being around people who are smarter than I am. I genuinely like it. I mean, it's not, I'm not just saying that. I don't like being the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. I get very, very easily bored if I feel that I am giving more than I'm getting Mm -hmm. from almost any social situation. Mm -hmm. So I've been really fortunate to be around exceptionally smart people, but I, I, I do think to give myself some credit I actually seek out people who are smarter than me because I don't, I'm not comfortable being the one who knows everything. And I think that's a really valuable tip because if you build those connections with people who are smarter than you, at some point you're going to click on something. You'll find something with these people that they respect about you and then you respect about them. Right, mm-hmm. And that is the ideal relationship, ideal way to build relationships, which is, and I think it works not just for business relationships, but personal relationships too. You have to respect each other. Mm-hmm. It can never be a one-way street. So I just hang around people I respect. And at some point, I find that we they start to respect me too because mm-hmm. of something that I'm able to do that they don't or the way I think that they don't think the same way and so that's what builds those relationships yeah you're being a continual learner yep which I think is something both of us are trying to take on right now of Mm -hmm. almost there are times where you can sit back and just enjoy what you're doing and not think of it as a classroom experience but I also think both of us think that why go through life not trying to learn something new every day so I think that's really cool that you put yourself in situations and surround yourself with people that are making you better and challenging Mm -hmm. you in a way. So yes, absolutely. That's a, that's a good piece of advice. And I think a lot of people are going to want to hear that. So Mm -hmm. glad we were able to cover that, but you have also then obviously you're professor for consumer behavior. You've done a lot of research in your day as well. What drives you to get involved with doing research or why do you think that it's important thing that has, had an impact on your life? I was trained as a researcher. So when I started my PhD program at Washington State, in fact, they told me, I didn't know much about PhD. I didn't know much about research, but they sat me down and said, let's be clear. You understand why we're you know, giving PhDs. What is the purpose of a PhD? It's not to make you a teacher. It's not to make you an industry specialist. It is to make you a good academic researcher. Hmm. So the whole program is designed 
you know, with the research methods, with um, experimental design, with statistics, with, uh, of course, a lot of coursework in your discipline so you can identify the gaps to research. So that's what my training was. And in fact, nowadays you're finding many PhD programs are putting more emphasis on teaching, but that was not the case in those days. It was you're supposed to be a researcher and they almost looked down upon teaching a little bit. When I was teaching in my PhD program, the classes that nobody wanted to teach, they would give to the PhD students. And so I was teaching a principles of marketing class with 260 people in the in, in an auditorium. And that's a tough way to start teaching mm-hmm. with those big classes. And I learned a lot and I discovered that I actually liked it. And which is why I ended up at UMD because UMD is just a perfect place where they balance that teaching and research. We do have people here who are genuinely renowned around the world for their research record. But all of us are teachers first. We don't have any teaching assistants. We don't have research assistants. We, we do everything ourselves. So. I, that really reflects in uh, the classroom experience, speaking from a student perspective too, just because you do feel like you're genuinely cared for and looked after by professors that they are there to share their knowledge and expertise and experience too. Uh, So with that too, what piece of research are you most proud of, would you say? It doesn't have to be like the whole title or anything, but just general area. Yeah, I I think um, more recently I have been involved in research in pharmacy, actually. It was just by pure chance. Again, talking about connections, I got connected with the College of Pharmacy here and um, found that a lot of uh, important issues in pharmacy, like how do you get people to take medication that they need to Mm -hmm. take? Because if you don't take the medication, you end up back in the hospital, you're using up resources. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you get people to um, not stock and use expired medication? These are all consumer behavior problems. And so I connected with them and they got very intrigued by this because they're not trained in consumer behavior. So I started working with a few uh, PhD students in pharmacy and it's great to work with doctoral students. Again, smart, smart people who (laughs) constantly kind of impress me and keep challenging me. And so working with those PhD students, serving on their committees, I got involved with uh, research in pharmacy and to me, somehow I get excited and invigorated by that because I can see my research being used in a much more meaningful Mm -hmm. way. It's not about selling more product. It is about saving lives. How can we influence people in a positive way so they they actually are less likely to attend into the hospital or less likely to get a drug overdose or something like that. So Mm -hmm. that's the, nowadays I'm working on more and more with that and I find that very exciting and interesting. Who would have thought consumer behavior and pharmacy or consumer behavior in any, I guess it is a science because it's a research, but I never would have bridged those two together like that. Yeah, for sure. And you're making a difference with the things that you're mm-hmm. researching, which I think yes. is really cool. But is cool. there, can we find your research somewhere? Can we yep. read it? Go to, uh, you should be able to go to Google Scholar and just do a search for my name and it should come up. Okay. All right. A whole bunch of people. We're going to have to do that afterwards. <laughs> we'll get Maybe. you some more readers from Yeah, I'll throw it in the podcast <laughs> notes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we've gone through a lot right now with what you've done in your work, in your career, and all those types of things. So I guess more of a high-level question, but what do you do to find that work-life balance? Because clearly you're doing a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> 
there's, I hope that you have some balance in there. So what does that look like for you? I think I do have a uh, balance. Uh, I, uh, if I was to give one person credit for the balance, it would be my fiance. Uh, she forces me to spend time with her doing things together, right? Yeah. And uh, otherwise, you know, after I got divorced, when I was just single, I would, weekends, I would catch up on work. Mm-hmm. To me, it was a great opportunity. I feel about the yeah, weekend, I, feel, yeah. I can catch up on work. It was almost like the exciting thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now I'm forced to spend time enjoying things, sit back. We love to travel. We love to go for hikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, finding... She has taught me to find pleasure in the simplest things. We both will just... We'll be driving somewhere and she'll point out the color of the sunset. And, she, and I'd say, I was just about to say that. Isn't that spectacularly beautiful? Mm-hmm. Or we're traveling in Florence a few years ago and we're literally getting so much enjoyment about some balcony grill, the pattern on it and how beautifully done it is. So whether it's going to a museum, going for a walk, we, we share enough common interests that I get that mm-hmm. balance. Uh, but yeah, otherwise I, I've always loved music. That to me is a great escape. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my dream evening is to play some Pink Floyd and pour myself a glass of wine and just sit mm-hmm. there, listen to that and read a book. There are lots of simple pleasures in life that I use to maintain that balance. For sure. I think the music thing I'm going to make a quick note on because I don't know if you do it now that we're in person class, but when we were over Zoom for class in the spring, we always started class with a new song. Yep. And sometimes had a little hangout session after class as well. So it was, that's that's definitely true. I can speak for that myself from actual experience. Rajiv, I got to say, I think my dad would be very disappointed if he was a fly on the wall in the class because I have not been able to name many of the songs that you've played. And many of them are ones that I grew up listening to. So Dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> and Dad, if you're listening, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, um, so you're you're a wine oh, wine drinker yeah. as well, I'm huh? A, yeah, I'm a huge wine lover. All right. What's your go-to bottle on the shelf? Would you say? And I know we're not gonna be able to afford it, or we might not even know about it. But <laughs> no, I, I. Well, I don't know. Depending on what your standards, I yeah. I don't I I, I love super expensive wine, mm-hmm. but not when I'm paying for it. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah. so, so usually if I can get a chance to have somebody else pay for an expensive bottle of wine, I will mm-hmm. enjoy it. And I, I can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. But otherwise I've found that you can get many mm-hmm. very reasonable, good, enjoyable wines in the $20 price range. Mm-hmm. So if it's much less than $20, I think less than $10 I can still have a, you know, Trader Joe's bottle of uh, Cabernet that is okay, but not very complex. It's mm-hmm. just fun to sit and drink one evening. It's, yeah. it's still acceptable. But once you get into the $20, $25 price range, there are actually some wines that are quite complex and flavorful that you can really um, mm-hmm. use your mindfulness training to, to really enjoy mm-hmm. and yes. appreciate. The consumer behavior side of it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are you a red wine or a white wine person? Typically red wine, okay. but there are some white wines I've started to mm-hmm. enjoy. So okay. it's especially summer yeah. evenings, cold white wine is, okay. is nice. Oh, 
Depends on the, I respect depends on the weather. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 I guess from there, I, one of our questions here too, mm-hmm. because you have touched on in class about being a beer connoisseur as well, not just a wine. Mm-hmm. So we're in Duluth. You know, there's lots of breweries around. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things to do in that realm. Is, is Do you have a favorite brewery that you're okay with speaking on this podcast that maybe some brewery owners are going to listen to? I hope I don't offend other <laughs> brewery owners, but, but local brews are just fantastic. I pretty much focus on local beer. Mm-hmm. And if I was to pick one, it's hard to beat Bent Paddle. Mm-hmm. Bent Paddle, I have tasted almost everything they've made and loved it. They're so flavorful, mm-hmm. so complex, and yes. it's it's been fantastic. But there are some with the uh, Earthrider is also really great. Their North Star Stout, I think, is one of the best stouts I've tasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Castle Danger also. Mm-hmm. I, I like some of them. But if I had to pick one that is most consistently awesome, it would be Bank Battle. Yeah, I have to agree that. with you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I love driving up to Castle Danger too, and having a brew on their deck, deck. outside, looking. At, you can see the lake; it's wonderful. And I love Bent Paddle's atmosphere too. That's a, my dad was in the beer business for a while, so we got to know the owners pretty well there, and they're wonderful people as well. Yes. So good beer, good people, good atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Can't beat that. Duluth is the place to be. Yes, it is. Yep. So what else do you do in your free time besides relaxing with your fiance? Seeking out good beer, good wine, good friends. Yeah, um, I I try to work out every now and then. I'm never as successful as I want, like most people. I understand that. Um, but um, you know, I've I've become a big fan of uh, temptation bundling. It's something you learn about in class. Mm-hmm. This idea that I I force myself to do a little, you know, like, even if it's quick. For me, three miles is a quick, you know. 25, 30 minutes, I can just mm-hmm. do that and be happy saying, okay, I've done a little workout. So I, I do a lot of these three mile runs a few times a week, but now on the treadmill, I've used that as motivation by watching TV. So I mm-hmm. almost never watch TV, even though I love TV, just mm-hmm. time because I don't have the time. So now what I tell myself is if there's a show I want to watch, I'll watch it while running on the treadmill. So that's my reward. So sometimes it's got to the point where I started watching like Mandalorian or something, a show like that, and I really got into it. And I said, oh, I want to watch the next episode. You know what, I'm gonna go for a run just to, on the treadmill, just so I can watch that's the show. So that's my, that's my way I trick myself into doing some kind of working out. That's some skilled multitasking too. I've tried <laughs> running on the treadmill watching TV and never, I always end up like running to the rail or something. Oh my God. I'm not very coordinated either. So that probably says a lot. Stick uh, to books on tape maybe. Yes, exactly. Or very hype music or something like <laughs> yes. that. Yes. That's something you have to actually watch. Right, yes. Well, I guess back to the career side of things. And I know this could be a very hard question for you considering all the things that you have accomplished, but if there were to be something that sticks out in your mind when you think of the highlight of your career, what would that be? I've got to say it's building relationships with students to the point where they become friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to me, that is absolutely the highlight. Uh, I, I made a heck of a lot more money in industry when I went to work in New York for a couple of years than I did at the university, but I still came back. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was part of it, uh, is I've got several students who 
come back, who stay at my place, who, who, would, who call me for advice on a regular basis. And to me, that's the ultimate compliment, right? Usually students, when they're done with college, you don't want to, you're done with that phase. You want to move on to the next exciting phase of your, of your careers. Mm-hmm. And to look back, to, to respect me enough to want to maintain a relationship with me, to me, that's wow. That, obviously, I've done something right mm-hmm. there. So I'd say that that's probably the highlight. Yeah, that's awesome. Clearly, you must give some pretty good advice if they're still coming back to you (laughs) for advice after graduation. And I guess then we would be honored to hear some advice for us, the two of us that are soon to be graduating and also Mm -hmm. listeners here that are, you know, in all areas of life in college. But is there any specific piece of advice that you can give those who are graduating and those who just want to go above and beyond in their careers like you have? A few uh, pieces of advice that have stood me in good stead. First is, we were talking about growth mindset earlier. Mm -hmm. This idea of seeing the positive in anything. My favorite story is actually, I was blown away by my daughter. My daughter was a freshman on the Twin Cities campus, and she got a job working in a lab, some research lab. And her job was essentially cleaning the lab equipment. It was Mm -hmm. like the beakers and the test tubes and things they used in experiments. Somebody had to clean it at the end of the day, wipe down all the equipment and things. And that's not a very exciting job. But I remember a phone call. She called me and I said, how's the job going? How's college? And she launched into this whole story. She said, you know, I'm cleaning these things. It's super interesting because they use these this equipment for their experiments. And if you don't go through this exact procedure in cleaning, if I don't clean it this way, put it in this solution, put it in this, it could completely screw up their future experiments because of some contamination in the, mm-hmm. in the test tubes. And she was so excited explaining why that cleaning procedure is so important. And I said, to me, that's a brilliant example of a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Instead of complaining about... Uh, yeah, job, well, all I do is go in after hours and clean their wretched lab equipment. She was excited about what she's learning from the cleaning test tube process. Yep. I said, that is the growth mindset. That'll get you far. And so I was just very impressed with her about that. So always look for what you can learn from no matter how horrible the experience. There's mm-hmm. got to be something you can get out of it in terms of learning. Always some takeaway. The always. always. The other advice that I would give is is find passion in what you do. And that is very, very different than the advice that is typically given to students, which is follow your passion. You know, find out what you're passionate about and follow it. And there's this, um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Mike Rowe. Ah, yes. He's the dirty jobs guy. He had a column that really blew me away. And he gave this great example. He says, the worst advice you can give a college student or a student in general is follow your passion. Mm -hmm. Because that maybe, maybe you shouldn't be. People are passionate about all kinds of things. When you're a kid, you're passionate about, uh, you know, being an astronaut, um, fireman, you know, a a singer on a talent show, but maybe you don't have that talent and that's not good use of your time to be following that passion. He said, instead, think about it differently. Whatever you do, bring passion to it. Whether it's cleaning test tubes or any job you end up with, find out what is so exciting, interesting, and that you can get something out of. And that is a much more uh, reliable path to success. 
I'm basically jumping on my seat over here. That's, I have his quote on the, that's my LinkedIn background, my header, and that's also at the bottom of my resume. And I condense a little bit and it says, don't follow your passion, but bring it with you. Mm -hmm. And yes, I resonate with that advice 100%. It's very good, very good to take on. If there's one last piece that I would say that again, I've used, I use it constantly in my life to maintain balance in my life. It's something that I, I, I call it to myself, the stoplight strategy. And that is based on an experience I had. I was driving once up Woodland Ave, actually, and I was very late for an appointment. And I'm driving and I'm literally snapping at the car in front of me saying, move on, what are you doing? Can you keep? And the car was a little too slow. It, there was a traffic light ahead. I was trying to hit it while it was green. And I didn't they, because the person was too slow. They got through. I got stuck in the light. And I was sitting in my car, genuinely angry. I hit the steering wheel and said, damn you traffic light. <laughs> damn you person. I was genuinely. And at, at that instant, I just stopped. I said, what am I doing? The traffic light doesn't care that I'm upset. The, the person in the car in front of me has no idea that I'm upset. The only person upset in this situation is me. Nobody else is upset. And I said, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? I'm creating an environment where the only person who's being affected is me and nobody else. And so I stopped and I started laughing at that point. And now I find any time I get frustrated, that's what I think about, literally a traffic light. And I say, okay, am, am I yelling at a traffic light or am I upset at a traffic light? Because if I'm upset at somebody because of something they said or did, then I have to decide. Either I go to them and say, hey, listen, just to let you know what you did there really bothered me and here's why. Mm -hmm. If I don't have the guts to do that or if I don't have the ability to do that, stop thinking about it because mm -hmm. then you're only affecting yourself. That person who bothered you is not being affected by it at all. Mm -hmm. So if I don't have the opportunity to uh, confront them, Forget about it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's changed my life in terms of being able to not be upset. I rarely get upset or stay upset for more than a few minutes. I think those are three very important keys to a very happy and successful life uh, in school as well as post-grad and beyond. So thank you for those insights, tips and tricks there. So I think we're going to uh, wrap up here. I could, we could chat for hours. I think this podcast could be much longer than 35 minutes. But Rajiv, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I'm very excited to launch this podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks yeah, for this, talking with me. This Super awesome. fun. This has been awesome. Thank you so much yes. for being here.